0: My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome back to another episode of History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects. If you caught the last episode, we spent most of our time discussing the mission of Orson Hyde, where he dedicated the Holy Land. Today, we're back in Nauvoo, Illinois. But before we dive in, a quick story. We've hinted at the abolition movement taking place at the same time as the history of this podcast. It's slowly gaining steam in America with the Civil War still on the horizon to finally push it over the top. However, at this point, slavery was already abolished in the United Kingdom in the year 1833. As abolitionists in London considered how best to tell the story of the 800,000 freed slaves and discuss the benefits to the world, officials in London decided to hold a convention. That would be called the World Anti-Slavery Convention. Now, in this convention, free slaves and everyone else were encouraged to tour the convention center and discuss the benefits of equality to all men. To all men. As the convention kicked off, Two Americans crossed the ocean to attend this important meeting. They were abolitionists and wanted to be part of the movement and find ways to push this important work forward in America. However, upon arrival, they were barred from entry at the gates and not allowed to attend a convention celebrating freedom. The reason they weren't allowed to attend? They were women. This event would kick off in many ways the women's suffrage movement in America alongside the abolition movement. Unwilling to not be allowed to be part of this convention, these two women would host their own women's convention in America. Now, back to our podcast. If you followed the podcast closely, you may have asked yourself from time to time, what are all the women doing during this restoration movement? It's a fair question. Emma Smith has played an important role. She worked as scribe part-time in the translation of the Book of Mormon, she helped organize the hymnbook, And we've mentioned other women from time to time, but we haven't spoke about callings. To this point, no woman in the Mormon Church has held an official confirmed calling. The men held all the callings that were organized inside the priesthood, but what about the women? What were their roles in this important work? These thoughts and more led Joseph Smith to make this statement in 1842, the year of our episode. Quote, The organization of the Church of Christ was never perfect. Until the women were organized. End quote. So the Mormon church wasn't yet perfect. They had scripture, the priesthood temples, ordinances, and the like. What were they missing? Today's object is the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book. So, what is the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book, and how did it come about? In episode 28, we discussed the work of baptisms for the dead the Mormons were performing and how Joseph Smith revealed that this work was only to take place inside a temple. As such, in 1841, the cornerstone was laid in Nauvoo, and work commenced on the construction of a new temple. Now, we'll get into the details of the temple build in a future episode, but for the time being, men were donating one day in ten to work on the temple. As this was heavy construction to build the temple, this was the work of men. So how could the Mormon women help? Now, let's pause the story real quick for some character context. The Nauvoo era of the Mormon Church featured some very remarkable women. The first being Emma Smith. We've discussed her, but there were others as well. We're going to focus on a couple in this podcast. The first we'll discuss is Sarah Granger Kimball, and the other is Eliza R. Snow. Sarah Kimball was raised in New York by a wealthy Puritan family. At an early age, Sarah's father bought a copy of the Book of Mormon from some traveling missionaries, As he prayed about the book, Sarah's father said that he was visited by the angel Moroni, who testified of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. The family was converted together and immediately joined themselves up with the Mormon church in Kirtland, Ohio, and eventually made their way to Nauvoo. Sarah, as the daughter of a wealthy family, had free time on her hands and would record sitting in the school of the prophets in Kirtland, Ohio, and soaking up all the teachings taking place. After moving to Nauvoo, Sarah would fall in love with the local merchant. The man wasn't a member of the Mormon church, however, but loved his wife, and it seems the things that were important to her would become important to him. Smart man. Because in Nauvoo, when the work started on the temple, Sarah's husband wouldn't be helping in the construction as he wasn't a member, but he would donate a plot of land north of the temple to show his willingness to assist in the work. But that wasn't enough for Sarah. Sarah wanted to provide more help than that, so in the spring of 1842, Sarah decided that she and the women need not sit on the side and watch the men do everything. Sarah conversed with her seamstress and decided to form an organization of women that would create and donate clothing to the men working on the temple. So Sarah Granger Kimball invited a dozen of the leading women to her home to recruit them to the work and to organize this society. Now in order for this to be official, they needed someone that could write up some formal guidelines and bylaws for this organization. Sarah Kimball would recruit Eliza R. Snow. So what qualified Eliza R. Snow to do this? Eliza was also fortunate enough to come from a well-off family that valued education and would buck the common trend of the day and ensure that all their children had a formal education. This education would lead Eliza to work for her father's office. Aside from being a farmer, Eliza's father was also the justice of the peace and would employ her as a secretary where she'd learn the ins and outs of business and bookkeeping. Eliza's parents were open to all religious believers in the day and invited them into their home to share their messages. When the Mormons arrived in 1831, Eliza's parents were immediately converted. But not headstrong Eliza, it would take another four years of studying and praying on her own to convert her. But when she converted, she really converted. Eliza would move immediately to Kirtland, Ohio, and when she heard about the work being done on the Kirtland Temple, she would donate her entire inheritance to the building of the temple. In episode 16, where we discuss the work that Emma Smith did to organize the hymn book, Emma would pull a number of poems written by Eliza Snow into the hymn book. One such hymn was, Oh My Father, which wasn't just a petition to God, but also references. heavenly mother. Now, the donation of her inheritance would allow Eliza Snow to also be completely involved in the work going on in the Kirtland Temple. She, like Sarah Kimball, would also soak up those teachings and dictate them back to her younger brother. This brother that she taught was Lorenzo Snow. He'd grow up to be a Mormon apostle and eventually the fifth prophet of the Mormon church. But as we've discussed, things weren't all easy on these women. The Mormons were scattered and driven from town to town across the Midwest. The Mormon women were frequently tasked with packing what belongings they could carry and saying goodbye to the rest of it. They were tasked with figuring out not only how to feed their children, but how to arrive and acquire new lands in a new state, often without the help of their husbands. During the Missouri phase, the mobs were unlawfully entering the homes of the Mormons, plundering their possessions and driving them out. They would also steal that which was most precious from some of these Mormon women. Eliza R. Snow somehow found herself alone with a mob of men and was raped multiple times. No charges were ever filed. But Eliza R. Snow and the other Mormon women would rightfully hold their heads high as they worked together to rebuild everything in Nauvoo and start over. I mention that story not just to create sensitive feelings for Eliza, which she deserved, but to show that oftentimes these Mormon women suffered just as much as the men, or in this case, much more, and they kept pushing forward. So the swamp of Nauvoo was drained, homes were finally being built, and the work is underway on the Nauvoo Temple. Back to our story. In the spring of 1842, Sarah Granger Kimball and her seamstress had organized a society to sew and create clothing for the men working on the temple. Sarah recruited Eliza R. Snow to write up a constitution for the society to make it official. Eliza does it, and then takes the constitution to Joseph Smith for his review. Joseph reads through them and states that it's the best constitution he's ever seen, but that God was inspiring him that he had something more for these women. Joseph Smith told Sarah Granger Kimball and Eliza R. Snow that this wasn't just to be a standard Victorian-era women's society but that he'd organize it much like the priesthood, meaning it'd have a president with counselors and so on, and that it would not only apply to just the temporal affairs, but the spiritual affairs of the women of the church. Now in Nauvoo, they'd built a two-story red brick store. On the second floor of that red brick store, most of the Mormon church's most important planning meetings will take place between the years 1842 and 1844. On March 17th, 1842, Twenty women were gathered there with Joseph Smith, John Taylor, and Willard Richards to organize what will become the Relief Society. Now, unlike most early Mormon meetings that have taken place to this point in the podcast series, we have detailed notes from that meeting thanks to Eliza R. Snow and the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book. As the meeting commenced, Willard Richards handed a leather book to Eliza R. Snow, and she began the minutes in the minute book. So, what did they do in that first meeting and what was recorded? The meeting opened with the singing of the hymn, The Spirit of God Like a Fire is Burning. John Taylor offered a prayer, and then the 20 sisters elected a president. They chose Emma Smith. Emma chose Sarah Cleveland and Elizabeth Ann Whitney as her two counselors. Next, they needed to determine the ultimate object of this society. According to the Minutes, Joseph Smith said the object should be to provoke the brethren to do good works, to look into the wants of the poor, searching after objects of charity, and to administer to their wants, to assist by correcting the morals and strengthening the virtues of the female community, and to save the elders the trouble of rebuking, so that they may give their time to other duties. Then according to the minutes, Joseph Smith said that he'd ordain the women and they'd preside over the society. Now, quick side note, the use of the word ordain is interesting here. Not sure if that was a slip by Eliza R. Snow or a catch-all word for setting apart at that time, but ordaining today means advancing in the priesthood, which isn't how women are progressed in the Relief Society. Back to the meeting, the brethren then laid their hands upon the heads of the sisters and set them apart. Then according to the minutes, Joseph Smith stated that these minutes recorded in this and all subsequent meetings would act as a precedent for all ongoing meetings. He would instruct the women on how to run these meetings, how to debate ideas and how to assign out instructions, how to make callings, and how to organize as a larger group. Finally, the women would need to determine a name for their society. They had the structure, the people, but what would they call it? It was originally just a lady society, and John Taylor proposed it be a benevolent society, which was a common phrase in the day. But Emma said no. She wanted to use the word relief. Emma Smith said that this would be something different from other societies of the day. It would be extraordinary. It was discussed, and they finally chose the name, the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo. Well, when Emma said it would be extraordinary, she wasn't kidding. Within five months, their membership numbers would swell to over 1,100 women. Today, there are over 7 million women enrolled in the Relief Society, spanning 188 countries. This makes the Relief Society one of the oldest and largest female organizations in the world. After these meetings, the Nauvoo Relief Society would break up the city into four wards, where they could delegate the work of serving the poor, creating clothing for the temple workers, assisting all families, fighting sicknesses, and meeting once a week to discuss the spiritual things of the soul. This all may sound kind of ho-hum, but it was groundbreaking at the time. Eliza Snow would write, Quote, Up to that point, we'd hoped that we'd be saved by our husbands, but now things were different. We had the opportunity to choose to, end quote. Going forward, all Nauvoo notes and minutes were kept by Eliza Snow in the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book. Now, what role did the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book serve the Mormon women going forward? The Nauvoo Relief Society will break apart in the year 1844. A couple of factors would come into play to break it up. First off, Emma Smith was unhappy with Joseph Smith engaging in plural marriage. Some of the women with whom Joseph was sealed in the temple were members of the Relief Society, including Eliza R. Snow. Emma would push back against polygamy using her seat as president of the Relief Society, and this would create a lot of awkward conversations in Nauvoo. However, the real nail in the coffin at the time was the martyrdom of Joseph Smith in 1844. After he's killed, an event we'll cover in a future episode, the Mormons will eventually leave Nauvoo and make their way out west to the territory of Utah. Now, years later, when Brigham Young, the next prophet of the Mormon church, decides to finally reorganize the Relief Society, he'll discover that Emma Smith didn't make the trip to Salt Lake City. Using the notes from the Nauvoo Relief Society minute book, Eliza R. Snow will be sustained as the new and second president of the Relief Society. The Mormon women in Salt Lake City will lean heavily on the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book to rebuild the society correctly. The Minute Book will even serve as an outline for the very first edition of the LDS Relief Society Handbook, an early version of a book utilized to this day by Relief Society leadership worldwide. Now, aside from their stated goals, which they've been accomplishing, what has the Relief Society been up to for the past 170 years or so? Here's just a few highlights. Most of the early Relief Society leaders in Utah were suffragists. Through their efforts, the women in the territory and eventually state of Utah fought for the right to vote. Utah was one of the very first states to allow women the right to vote. In the late 1800s in Utah, Brigham Young would become aware of the advances being made in medicine. He would say, quote, If some women had the privilege of studying, they would make as good mathematicians as any man. We believe that women are useful not only to sweep houses, wash dishes, and raise babies, but that they should also study law or physics. The time has come for women to go forth as doctors in these valleys of the mountains. With that in mind, the Relief Society would begin to send women to the East Coast to study medicine, donating funds for their tuition. These female Mormon students were some of the first women in the country to graduate as medical doctors. They returned to Utah to train additional women as nurses, and due in large part to their effort, Deseret Hospital in Utah was run by the first all-female board of directors in the United States. There are many more Relief Society successes accomplished over the years. Things like the society sending women east to gather ancestral records to form the first Mormon genealogical society in America, and other important things. We'll cover some of those in later episodes. Now. How is the Relief Society different today than it was in Nauvoo? In Nauvoo, not every Mormon woman was a member of the Relief Society. If you wanted to join while in Nauvoo, you had to have a letter of recommendation. You had to be voted in as approval by the Society, and you had to pay a due of $5 to join. Today, when a young woman turns 18, they transition directly into the Relief Society. Also in Nauvoo, the women would elect their own president, as was the case with Emma Smith. Today, the president is chosen by the priesthood, and sustained by the women. In Nauvoo, the women controlled their own budgets, managed their own projects, and even gave healing blessings by the laying on of hands. Some of the men in the priesthood protested about this, but Joseph Smith would say that what the women were doing was as harmless as water on the face. Joseph Smith said that their faith was as valuable to God as the priesthood. Now, where can you see the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book? The actual physical copy sits in the LDS History Museum in Salt Lake City. You can see it there through a protective glass. However, if you want to peruse the pages, go to the Joseph Smith Papers website. There, they transcribed every page, and you can go through them all and read all the notes. As much as any object to this point, I'd strongly recommend you go review the Minute Book. It's an amazing piece of Mormon history. In closing... A few years back, the Mormon prophet Gordon B. Hinckley was being interviewed by the National Press Club about the role of women in the Mormon Church. His response was this, quote, people wonder what we do for our women. I'll tell you what we do. We get out of their way and look with wonder at what they're accomplishing, End quote. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects, episode 30, the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book. As always, if you have comments or questions, you can reach out to me directly at joe, H O M C, History of Mormon Church at gmail.com. And again, selfishly, if you like this episode, please like and leave a comment on iTunes. It helps me get the word out. Thanks again for listening.